Well, Happy New Year, City Church. Um, we're doing a worship at home, so if you feel a little PTSD from the last year, um, don't worry, we're not going back to this. This is just a, a one-day thing. We wanted you to start the new year off by creating some rhythms for your family. And, and as I think about the last year, oh, man, it's been madness, hasn't it? But we've seen God be faithful, and that's one of the things I want you to always remember. Matter of fact, this week as a staff, we looked at the last year and we calculated the, the numbers and we actually grew by 20% last year. In the midst of all the craziness, God was faithful, which made me start thinking, um, would any of us have ever predicted life to be the way that it is starting in 2022? I think about when I was 10 years old, thinking about what would life be like? Surely I thought we would have uh, flying cars and things would be nuts. I, I remember sitting in my my grandmother's house at 10 and having to sit there for like 45 minutes waiting on the AOL dial-up internet to start, right? We've all heard the ready for that to go. And then, and then I think about 2022 and we live in a soundbite culture now where you can literally turn on your phone and be anywhere in the world in a matter of seconds. Some of that's amazing, but honestly, some of it has been pretty hard. This soundbite culture that we live in has forced us to, to reevaluate who we are. Do we find our uh, identity and our self-satisfaction in what people say or how many tweets or I guess tweets that makes me feel a little older, um, Snapchat, how many people look at your video? Last year though, one of the greatest blessings that happened in the midst of the pandemic was it forced all of us to slow back down to be a bit like the 10-year-old, right, that sat there and had to wait patiently on the internet. For a lot of us, it forced us to reevaluate our identity. It forced us to get to know the stranger we've been living with over the last couple of years. It allowed us to reemerge as good husbands or dads or moms or wives. See, what it did for us was it allowed us to recenter the rhythms of our life. Last thing I'll say about last year that reminds me of filming this is um, I, remember, I remember trying to gather to do worship at home. Now, I've got three little kids. Like, I get the struggle you're probably going through right now. But let me one-up you real quick. We would gather together in my house on Sunday mornings, and we'd have breakfast together, try to get our kids all in one room just to turn on a subpar sermon done by me. <laughs> Imagine that. I'm like, oh, baby, that was a good point. You might want to write that one down. Hey, check, check this out. Wait, wait till you see what's coming. Like, nobody wants to do that. About three weeks into that, my family gave up on me. They're like, hey, can we just turn on David Platt or J.D. Greer or Matt Chandler? Because honestly, they're better than you anyway. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe I'm kidding. I, I don't know. Anyway, what I want to do is I want to take just a couple minutes to refocus 2022 on something new something better. I think that God is going to do more than what we could ever ask or imagine this year. So here's my question for you. Why not us? Why not now? That, that's, the, that's the big idea. Why not now? You, you know that word now, it comes from the Latin phrase. It, it, I don't want to get this one wrong. It, it comes from the Latin phrase novus homo. Homo meaning person, novus meaning new. Um, the idea is, is to do something now or to start now literally means to be a new man or a new person, or a fresh start. So that's what 2021, or 2022 is. It's a fresh start. I want a fresh start with you 
by talking about three really practical rhythms that you can do with your family this year that I think will just revolutionize your life. Here's number one. Number one is Sabbath. Sabbath. You've heard us talk about this a lot. The Hebrew word Shabbat. It, it literally means to, to rest, to, to slow down. A matter of fact, the, the word Sabbath is a command, by the way, and, and I love that. It's, it's a command to rest. It's not just something God suggests that we do. He commands us to do it. It goes all the way back to the creation story. You know, the creation story where God says in the beginning, God created and he did it in six days. One of the things that's fascinating about that, no matter what you believe about creation, no matter if you believe it was millions of years or just six literal days that God created in 10,000 years, uh, 10,000 years ago, here's the beauty of that. It took God time. He didn't just speak and everything came into being. He took his time. And for a lot of us, what we need to remember is that God takes his time. Oftentimes, God wants you to slow down so that he can take his time with you. And there's something beautiful about time. So that's why we Sabbath. We Sabbath to rest. We Sabbath to remember. There's two places in the Bible, um, which if you have your Bible, go with them with me, um, that God talks specifically about Sabbath. He commands this in Exodus chapter 20 and in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 are both the retelling of the Ten Commandments. What's fascinating is that Moses, through God, gives us two reasons that we should Sabbath. Two reasons that are actually a bit different. The first one in Exodus chapter 20 goes back to creation. He he says this, he says, if God created the world and then rested on the seventh day, well, we should too. And, And the reason for that is, is it's a reminder that God is the one who creates, that God is in control, that God is the one who cares for you, And because God cares for you, well, you can rest. You see, if you're anything like me, and maybe you are, I I stress out over a lot of stuff. I stress out over who's going to pay the salaries um, for the staff that we have. Who's going to take care of my family? Like, are my kids going to be healthy? Are they going to be happy? Are we going to be okay? Do we have a savings account? You, You think about all the things we stress about. You name it, I stress about it. But the reality is, is I stress about it because I'm overly independent, right? I, I think about myself and I, I, I actually am not resting in the fact that God is in control. Am I, am I the only one? I, I've told you this before, but stress is literally killing us. I, I heard the other day that it's more unhealthy, not, it's more unhealthy to stress about eating the ice cream than it is to actually eat the ice cream. That's how stressful life can be. And that's how harmful stress is. So I love the way St. Augustine said it. He says, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. The idea of rest is that we find our rest in God because God is the creator God. And a restless heart is a heart that hasn't found its rest in God. So Matthew 6, one of my favorite verses, Jesus kind of reiterates the point. He says, He says, do you not know that God cares for you more than the lilies of the field? Do you not know that he he provides for the birds of the air and he, he loves you more than they? And then Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and all those other things will be added to you. He says, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow has its own trouble, but rest, if you will, today and God will take care of you. The the idea there is that God's in control and because God's in control, you can rest. You can rest. 
See, the reality is, is when you know that God is God, you don't have to be. That, that's the first one. The second one, it comes from Deuteronomy chapter five. And in Deuteronomy chapter five, Moses reiterates the 10 commandments, but he gives you a totally different rationale for why we should rest. Here's, here's what he says. He says, hey, one time you were a slave in Egypt and then God rescued you and you're no longer a slave. So don't go back into the slavery of always worrying about stuff. Basically what he's saying is you're free. You can rest because you're free. You don't have a taskmaster over you anymore. Like you don't have a deadline for the next thing or the next mortgage payment or, or whatever. Those, those, those problems will always exist and yet they don't have to own you. They don't have to own you. That's why Jesus says man was made, or the Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The idea is there, even Sabbathing, even resting, guys, if you are legalistic like some of us are in a religious sense, can be a form of slavery because you're just checking the boxes. What, 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 what the Bible wants you to know is you can rest because you're free. You can rest because God is in control and because you're free. I, I, I've told you this before, if you've been around City Church for any length of time, but there are stats that say that a restless life is actually one of the most unhealthy things you can have. Did you know they said that you can cut your life expectancy by 20% if you don't get at least six or seven hours of sleep a night? I mean, that's crazy. Chronic stress is the cause for many great things in your life, like uh, obesity or uh, heart disease or you, you name it. Stress can be tied to those. You cannot burn the midnight oil for very long. At some point, something has to give. You will burn out and your production will go down. What if this year was the year that you and I took rest seriously? Like we took six days and we worked really hard and then we shut it down for a day just to worship. By the way, the last thing about rest is this. Rest is supposed to be worship. That's the Sabbath. So I think there's a lot of misconceptions about worship. Worship is doing what God has created you to do in all of its beauty and then acknowledge him as you do it. So if you love art, go paint a picture and, and do those things. If you love to go build something, if you're like me and you like a good book or go on a run, like do what you do that's not stressful and do it and remember God as you do it. All right, turn off Netflix, chill for a little bit, love your family well and rest well. That's the Sabbath. Here's number two. Number two is prayer. Prayer. I, I wanna get really practical here. I think that prayer for most Christians, is the one thing that most of us say that we're not very good at. But the question is why? Well, honestly, I think there's two reasons why. There's two reasons why we're not very good at it. The first one is we just don't know how, right? I, how many people do you know who have just said, I don't, I don't know how. Like, I close my eyes, I talk out loud, and I don't know if I'm speaking just in, in outer space or if anybody hears me. And here's the second one. The second one is more philosophical, but I'm just telling you, if you dig down a little deeper, I think it's true is, we don't think we need God. We actually were too radically independent. So let me start with the second one and, and let me flush that out a little bit. All right, Paul Miller, he, he wrote a book called The Praying Life, which by the way, for Sabbath, a great resource is um, called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. If I were you, I'd pick it up this year. And then for prayer, uh, Paul Miller wrote a book called The Praying Life and they're both fantastic. So listen to what Paul Miller said. He said a lack of prayer isn't a prayer problem, it's an idolatry problem. Basically what he's saying is we have a worship problem. For many of us, again, if you're like me, I'm too self-dependent. Meaning like if I need to go to the grocery store to provide food, I don't 
pray, I just go, right? If if I need something, I, I tend to figure out ways to do it myself instead of relying on God. I think there needs to be an inherent belief in all of us that God is real and that we really need him or else we will just use him and then we won't pray at all. See, before you can ever have a robust prayer life, I think you have to begin with the reality of who God is. You have to begin with the reality that God is sovereign and that you need him. Listen again to what Paul Miller said. He says this, if you're not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. You'll always be a little too tired, a little too busy. But if you, like Jesus, realize that you can't do life on your own, then no matter how busy you are, no matter how tired you are, you will find time to pray. See, I think the biggest problem with all of us is dependency. We we have a dependency problem. The reason why we fundamentally don't pray is because we fundamentally don't trust. Now, real practically, again, I told you, that's the first problem. The second one is many of us just don't know how to pray. So I wanna give you a couple practical ways that you can pray. All right, here's number one, pray like a kid. Pray like a kid. Here's what I mean by that. The, the other night I was putting my kids down to sleep and we, we go through our bedtime routine and um, I pray with them. And then as I was walking out the door, Emma looked back at me and she says, hey, daddy, will you pray for my boo-boo? Uh, so we prayed and I walked out and I just thought, man, like she gets it and I don't. She gets it. She totally trusts that God is good and that God can heal her and that God can do anything. And she's totally reliant upon that. For me, I tend to think that I'm just bugging God or that God's bothered by me or, or, or whatever. And, and, and I only need to go to God with big things. And the reality is, no, you should pray like a child. You should pray like a child that never cares that they interrupt their family because that's what you do. Here's number two, pray the way that Jesus taught us to pray. Pray like Jesus. You know, in Matthew chapter six, Jesus actually teaches his disciples how to pray. Uh, they ask him, they're like, hey, Teach us what to do whenever we need to pray. And that's it's really awesome because if you ever want to learn how to pray, just look at Jesus' prayer. Now, before he taught them how to pray, he gave them two warnings. The first one was, don't pray to be seen. And you know that guy. Nobody likes that guy. Like he's big theological words and knows exactly what to say. And he talks about eschatology and you know, theology. And you know, like, Here's what Jesus is saying. Those are like Pharisees that pray to be seen. God knows the motivation of your heart. So just pray. Like you don't have to have a theological degree to talk to your father. Here's the second one that he says. He says, don't pray to get something, pray to have a relationship. Again, for many of us, we can have a transactional relationship with God. And the reality is, yes, God wants to be there for your needs. What good father doesn't want to give to their kids? And yet at the same time, we don't pray to get something. We we have the greatest gift ever. We have God. We pray to develop a relationship. So with that in mind, with those two cautions, Jesus teaches them how to pray. And you've all heard the prayer. Uh, If you've been around Christianity at all, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. If you go into my office, you'll, you'll actually see this written on the whiteboard in my office because I want to see it every day. Now, next to it, I wrote down Martin Luther's prayer guide for how to pray this. And listen to what he says. He says, start with the recognition of who God is. That, that's the beauty of this. Start with worship. You notice Jesus says that, our Father who's in heaven. Now, there's two things there. If he's in heaven, he is holy and set apart. Start with that. Start with God 
You are absolutely sovereign, holy. You recenter your life on that. Now, listen to this. Jesus could have used any name to describe God. You know what he called him? He called him dad. He says, as you're going to pray, you relate to God, not as holy, not as reverent, not as Lord, but as father. There's something beautiful about that. Start with Jesus. Start with who God is. Start with worship. And then, then he says, align your will to his will. The, the reality is, again, for many of us, we want God to align to our will. But he says, no, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Martin Luther says, as you pray, align your will to his. God, what do you want to do with my life? What are you doing with my life? Uh, and then he says, move to confession. Some of the confession might be, God, I don't even know what to pray. I don't know what you're doing in my life. God, I don't, I, I don't even know how to do this. The other confession might be sin, right? There, there's a sense in which there's a freedom that happens when we confess what we're going through and then we allow God to heal us. And then he says the last thing to do, last thing to do is pray for protection. Pray for protection. It's okay to ask God to protect your family, to protect your resources, your job, to, to allow you to uh, travel well or whatever the case might be. But the order of that is important. When you start with God, then God's never a means to an end. All right, Paul Miller, again, he gives seven quick things to do to develop a healthy prayer life. And I just think they're real practical and real awesome. Here's what he says. Get out of bed. He says, whatever you do in the evening will shape your morning. Get a good night's sleep. We just talked about sleep. Get up, right? Praying, is, uh, praying in bed is wonderful, but you know, you're never going to start a robust prayer life if you don't just get up. Get awake, get to a quiet place, get comfortable, get going, and keep going. It's that simple. Just do it. Just do it. There's no magic formula. Just keep going. Last one is this, Bible study. See, the healthy Christian life is one that rests, one that prays, and one that gets into God's word. I I love this. In 2022, I would love for you to develop a rhythm that spends time with God. You know, Paul tells Timothy that all scripture is breathed out by God. That that word breath, it's really fascinating because all the way through the Bible, it it can be equated to life. Matter of fact, the the spirit of God can be equated with breath. The, the, The idea is this is that when Paul says all scripture is breathed out by God, he's telling you that uh, actually the Bible brings life. It it, it brings joy and life. The Bible is a life-giving book. And maybe the reason why a lot of us don't have joy or direction in our life is because, well, we haven't gone to the source of life. We haven't developed rhythms that allow us to rely on God. One of my favorite passages of scripture in the entire Bible is Psalm 119, 105. It, It says this, the, Lord, uh, the word of the Lord is a light to my feet and a lamp to my path. Uh, if you took a completely dark room and you put a light to your feet, do you know what you'd see? Your next step. That's what God's word is. It's a guide for every step. It doesn't show you the whole picture because, well, if you had the whole picture, you probably wouldn't rely on God. But if you take each step and trust, that's where you develop a relationship. And then uh, a light to your path or a lamp to your path, think about driving a car at night. You would always put on your headlights because it guides your path. That's what God's word is supposed to do. It's supposed to be a guide for life. So God spoke and he spoke primarily through his word. Theologians call this specific revelation. Now, there's this thing called general revelation where all of nature speaks. There's no way that you can look up at the galaxies in the sky and not see the glory of God. And yet God spoke specifically about who he is in his word. So we get, we get God and we get a relationship when we develop 
our time in God's word. Let me give you just real practical what it looks like for you to get into God's word. I I think there's two quick, easy ways. The first one is just grab a book of the Bible. If you've never read the Bible, start somewhere. So grab the Gospel of John or or one of the Gospel stories and start reading it. Now, as you read it, again, I want to give you a couple practical handles for how to read it. Now, now these aren't original to me. They go back to Martin Luther, but there's a couple practical things you can do. Like, here's what Luther says. Letter A, start with teaching. Teaching. What does this actually teach? Um, There's something called hermeneutics, and a good hermeneutical principle, if you will, is you have to ask the question, what does it teach to the original audience? And what does it teach to the original audience within the genre that it's teaching? Now, all that is crazy theological, so here's what I'd recommend. Just grab a study Bible. They'll tell you all that information. Maybe the ESV study Bible. It's pretty awesome to do that. But begin with, what is this teaching me? Here's the second one, adoration or worship. What does this tell me about God? That Before you ever get to the application of what you need to do, you should ask the question, what does this actually tell me about God, his character, his kindness, his goodness? Then lead to number C, confession. What does this tell me that I need to do? Where am I missing the mark? What are the things that I've fallen short of? I think about James chapter one, where James says true religion is to care for the orphans and the widows in their distress. Well, I'm not great at that. God, I'm sorry that I'm not great at caring for orphans and widows. Will you help me to figure out where I can play my part in this role? That's what confession is. And then letter D is supplication. Um, That's where you can ask. These are the application questions. Uh, God, what does this mean for me? What are you trying to teach me? And how do I do this with my life? That's a simple way. Here's another simple way. We call this just observation, interpretation, and application. As I read the Bible, what, what do I see? What does it mean? And how do I apply it? Those three principles will help you read the Bible well. Now, here's the other one. For many of you, um, you, you've done that. You might need to read through the Bible. I I would recommend there's something called the Bible Reading App. It's just called the Reading App. Um, I'm sorry, it's called the Reading Plan App. The Reading Plan App. I use it every year. It just helps me to read through the Bible. There's all kinds of different ways you can do it. You can read from Genesis to Revelation. You can go chronologically. Uh, you can, it, it, there's a million different ways that you can read the Bible. Grab a tool, a resource, and just get started. That's what I want 2022 to be. Guys, I, I think that this could be the year, the year to a fresh start with good rhythms, good rhythms that say, I'm not going to burn out because I'm going to learn to rest and rely on God. Good rhythms that say, I'm going to develop a relationship with God and depend on him through prayer. Then I'm really going to believe him. And then good rhythms that say, if my joy, the abundant joy of life comes from the word of God, I'm going to develop a reading plan to do that. Friends, 2022, I think it could be a great year and I'm looking forward and excited to spending it with you. I hope you have a great new year and I'll see you soon.